Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Friday. Since the house is relatively empty, I'm going to try to do this podcast now. Um, this week is Parsha Shmini, obviously. You got the death of Nodem and Avia, which is an extremely weird story, because what exactly did they do wrong? And it's uh, because it's so unclear in the text, uh, the account is so ambiguous, so you have different opinions long ago in Chazal and afterwards, were they good people, were they bad people, were they tzaddikim, were they rishayim? As you know, Moshe Rabbeinu says to Aaron, Bekrovaya Kadesh, that they, that they were killed because they were so holy. But, you know, did Moshe say that to make Aaron feel good and really they weren't that way? Or was he telling the truth? Who are none of an Avio, you know? And second of all, what exactly happened to them? Because you have to read this intelligently. It says they brought a strange fire. Okay, whatever that means, you know, there are different opinions in Chazal, how precisely they interpret that. And then it says a fire came down from heaven and consumed them. Vos made dos. You know, if you understand that it came like a whoosh, First of all, what does it mean that fire came down from heaven? Heaven's not the sky. Shamayim is not the, the sky. It didn't come down from a cloud like in some Star Wars movie or something like that. So what exactly happened to them? Especially the Chazal say, very interestingly, Gufam Kayom Benishmos Nisrefis. Isn't that what they say? That their body was intact. It was their soul that was burned. So guess what, guys? The soul doesn't get burned. The soul is immaterial. It's a metaphysical. So physical fire doesn't burn it, <laughs> you know? So, uh, so what's going on? Obviously, it wasn't a fire like you imagine a flamethrower or something like that. Wow, that's heavy. It says, an ash came milifne Hashem. So it's not the regular fire. It's somewhere else. So we're talking about transcending uh, metaphysical zones. Well, we're, do- we're talking heavy uh, duty uh, metaphysics over here. You know, like what- what's happening? And uh, it's not pushed. But I know one thing, if that's true... Then you looked at Nona Avio, and it's not they got burned, they just dropped. You understand? The meaning is Gufum Kaimanish Mustinus Revis. So they were doing whatever they're doing, and then they just both fell dead. And the way of expressing that is from an Aishon Hashem, Milifne Hashem, and Gufum Kaimanish, and their Neshama was burnt. So they simply ceased to live. And uh, that's like a very weird kind of phenomenon, to say the least. And is that a punishment? Is it good? Is it bad? Who are none of an avia? Why are we singling so much of them out anyway? And anyway, why they get such a bad punishment? Here's how the story should have read. They brought a strange fire, and the fire went out. And then they rekindled it, and the fire went out. And after a while, they figured, gee, I guess Hashem doesn't want this. Why'd they have to die? And die in this way. And by the way, nishmas on this refis, which is a metaphysical term, is really harsh. Their neshama was burned. It sounds like they don't have a neshama anymore. You understand? It's not like they died and the sun went to heaven, which again is a transcendental uh, phenomenon. It's not a physical, there's no physical place called heaven. It's a, it's a messias of a ruchnia sort. Instead, as here it says, what happened to the Shama? It was Nisraf. So you don't know how to interpret that. Maybe it sounds like you find in the Gemara that they're wicked people, their Nishama is Nisrafis and becomes uh, dust under the tzaddikah, meaning they don't get to heaven. On the other hand, you can say like this. Their neshama was burned by an ace milifne Hashem, which is kolais hanefesh, you know, a, a, a kind of supernal, uh, sublime, you know, ecstatic uh, kind of uh, fate. 
It's 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 really fascinating if you want to sit down and analyze it intelligently. But why this whole business with no review? The answer, of course, is they are singled out elsewhere. If you go back in Mishpatim, I remember this. Right after the pronouncing the Ten Commandments, because remember, Shavuos is only when the Ten Commandments are pronounced. They're not given. The Luchos are not given for another 40 days. And so the story is in Yisro, is that right? But then there's a little break, and then the end of Mishpatim, God gives his instructions to Moshe, and he says, you come up for 40 days and 40 nights. But that's not all it says over there, right? It says, very, very interestingly, you know, these are very heavy stories. In the philosophical, metaphysical sense, it says something like, Vel Moshe Omar, this is Hashem talking, right? Uh, what does it say? Let me just look up here in Mishpatim. Here we go. Vel Moshe Omar, Aleil Hashem, Atav V'yaro, Nod V'naviyu, Shem Zikni Yisrael V'yishtach V'yishem So God tells Moshe, I want you to go up the mountain, plus a few other people. Aaron, okay, I get that, Aaron. And Nod V'naviyu. And Shivim Mizigni Yisrael, the elders of Israel, and you bow down from a distance, which basically means you go part of part of the mountain. Only Moshe goes up all the way to the top of the mountain. And he went up to the top of the mountain, which there was a cloud and a fire, and then he went into it. And he was there for forty days, forty nights, and he has a unique experience. And the rest of the Klai Yisrael, the Hamonah, the masses, he stayed. Don't even go in the mountain. It's like a Hasidic, you know, the Rebbe goes all the way to the top, and some of the flunkies go halfway, and everybody else is just watching from a distance. Fine, okay. So, did you notice? It's, God says you, and Aaron, and none of an Aviyu and the elders. Why didn't he say Elozer be Samar? Why didn't he say Betzalel, and Oliyav, and Chur? I mean, there were big tzaddikim, and Nachshem, and Aminadu. No, it's interesting. It's Ata, Aaron, none of an Aviyu. So you see, None of you were spiritually something very special. Remember, it was super elite. Uh, not their brothers. Remember, it was super elite. And the super elite in the divine sense, in that, in terms of knowledge of God. Only Moshe can go all the way, but they go half the way. That's pretty impressive. And not only is it impressive, but what happens, actually, if you remember the story? It says, Vayal Moshe, Moshe, Taka went up the mountain, Vayiru, Eselohei, Yisrael, they had a transcendental, mystical experience. Vayiru, they saw Esel Hey Yisrael, whatever that means, because there are many ways of describing God. Betachas Raglov, and God is sitting on a chair, and uh, or seems that way, and under his legs, sounds like he's sitting. Kimaisi Livna Sasapir, Kimaisi Livna Sasapir, something that looked like a sapphire brick. They did not see a sapphire brick because it wasn't a physical uh, experience. But they saw something that was like a sapphire brick. And they saw, this language is remarkable. And they saw in terms of Torah purity, something that was like the real Shamayim itself. Now, an ordinary way, a plain way of saying is they saw some kind of blue, sky blue, you know, something like azure. But that's if Shamayim is the sky. And you and I know Shamayim is not the sky. Shamayim is the heavens, and it's not the heavens, it's the metaphysical world, meaning it's the world of Ruchnius. So, wow, they saw, meaning they had a perception of El Yisrael, and they saw something like a Livnos Asapir, and Etzem HaShamayim Latar. They saw like the very, phys- the, the very, ooh, metaphysical itself. In other words, they, they, they perceived the abstract, or something along those lines. Look, I never did it, neither did you. But it's not a regular experience. And then what happens? 
and God didn't punish him. And they saw Notice these are two psukim back to back. This is in chapter twenty-four in, in, in Shmos, uh, ten and eleven. So in uh, pasuk ten it says Vayiruas Elohei Yisrael, and in eleven it says Vayechsu Esho Elohim. So they're not looking at different gods, obviously. So they're looking at different aspects of God, and it sounds like Roe is one kind of seeing or perception, because they didn't actually see anything, you know, with their eyes. And Vayechsu is, is a deeper one, I suppose. Look, I'm not the Malbin, there's no difference between Chose, Roe, and all the rest of it. But uh, obviously we're dealing with a deeper sense. And first time they just saw something called Elohei Yisrael, which is one way of understanding God. And the second time they saw Ho Elohim, which is obviously a deeper way, or a, 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 a sharper way. So that's weird, Okay. And then they ate and drank. And then the story goes on to other things. That Moshe himself is told, you go to the top and get the... Uh... So notice, as I said before, that none of them were singled out. I think that's the only place. None of them were singled out over here to partake of this experience. Which something like the parties, isn't it? You know, they try to go into these heavy uh, uh, scenes. Because it's not a vortent climbing up a mountain. Uh, Har Sinai is nothing but a little blip. It's like a pimple on the earth. You know, the, the, it's what it represents. Meaning... The climbing that they had was mental and spiritual, not the, just the physical. And you see, none of them participated in this. And when it's all over, so this is very ambiguous. And because it's very ambiguous, you find different, you know, over the course, you'll be shocked to hear that there were different ways of interpreting it. And some say uh, it's a positive, some say it's negative. I think Rashi, if I'm not mistaken, says, that they mamished, like Kiddush Rishon, you know, they saw the, the Shechina, or whatever they saw, El Yisrael, and then they pull out a picnic, you know, where's the Shibbos Regal over here, where's, where's the Jack Daniels, and that was a sin, and it was showed that they weren't ready for the pure Ruchnius, and as a result, isn't that how Medush goes? Result, Hashem said, I'm going to punish them, but I don't want to do it now, that'll spoil the occasion, I'll get you later, and by Yom later when he got him, he got the revenge later. Strange story. But that's how you say it. So notice the eating and the drinking was as objectionable then as a Kiddush Rishon would be objectionable today. It's a violation of the sanctity. Okay, I get that. That's one way of understanding it. However, others, especially the Hasidim, and I'm serious about this, but they're not the only ones, interpret this as a supernal, sublime eating. So... First of all, so no, it's a positive. So they don't subscribe to that menish I just said before. was an appropriate response. First of all, you can go this way. You can say, what does it mean, ochel and shosa in the Torah? You idiot. You think it just means eating food? Kiddush Rishon, what are you, stupid? Uh, what is lechem? What is mayim? It's a Torah. It's a Kabbalah. I don't know. You know something very sublime. So they ate, meaning they consumed and absorbed in their bodies, in their, in their physicalities, this experience, in which case something amazing. This, believe it or not, is like the basis for the tish, the Hasidic tish and all that, in which you take, it's an old idea. You find the Masil Sisharim also, it's not Hasidic, in which a person, if he's in total dvekas, then even the food they eat, anything they use in their material lives is a tool in their supreme Havodos Hashem, you know, that kind of thing, and uh, therefore becomes sacred as a result of that, of being associated with such a lifestyle. And so, uh, the fancy terminology is 
they're malad and they told us they take the the food and the, you know they they extract the uh, sparks of holiness from it. But that's just an expression. What it means is that they had, that the eating and drinking was a sublime experience. And uh, I remember there's an article from my favorite heretic, Louis Jacobs, called something like "Eating as a Mode of Worship in Judaism," in which he lines up all the Hasidic interpretations and maybe uh, maybe there's a bit of Bichai also something like that. Going by memory, in which they speak about the sublime nature of eating when it's done in the right way, in the right time, with the right kavanas. Okay, most of us eat like behemoths, but you know, if you do it with thought and uh, you know, with the right uh, intentions and all that sort of thing, then the eating becomes sublime. This is what a Hasidic dish is theoretically supposed to be. And if you're a, a believer, then you know, every time the rabbi raises his right hand, left hand, he's doing something special with the food. And I'm I'm t- totally serious about this. And uh, in that case, none of an are an exemplar. You understand? You you turn your your table into a mizbeach, and you turn the food into carbonus, and the food itself is transformed into into kedusha, ba'etzim kedusha, and that's the idea of shiraim. You know, you want to get a piece of that. I'm serious. So you can look at it that way. On the other hand, you can also say they fressed, in which case it was bad. And you find, therefore, it's so interesting. Uh, positive ways of evaluating these uh, phenomena and negative ways of evaluating uh, these phenomena. I think in the Medish Rab, again, I'm going by memory, in, in this parsha, I think, when it talks about none of an view, so uh, it has all, the, all these negatives against them. One is they were drunk, uh, one of them they were arrogant, that's a big one. Uh, where do you get all this from? Uh, here's one, they were shachtsonim, they were too proud. This is one for the shachtsonim. They said, uh, we have two good yichas, therefore no girl's good enough for us. This is a lot of girls pined away and broke their hearts because none of them would not date them. They wouldn't go out with them because they said something along the line. I mean, this is what it says. It says, listen, nobody's armadrega. Uh, Aaron is our father. Moshe is our uncle. Miriam is the, is the aunt. Uh, our mother is Elisha. We're from the super-duper aristocracy, which was true. As a result, no, they didn't want to get married. In which case, they took their elevated status and misused it and different were punished uh, that's interesting in other words where do you get that from that must be how they read well, where did Chazal get that from must be how they read the strange fire was this arrogant attitude it's Eish it's a holy it's spiritual meaning they are high Madrega but it was Zara it was uh, you know something God did not approve of and uh, to misuse uh, gifts is like a big sin. Uh, very interesting, okay? But on the other hand, you can also say that what they did was right. You know, it's a, you, you swing back and forth. And so the result is that we find ourselves in a situation in which we have to delve, I would suggest, very deeply. I'm giving you suggestions for Shabbos. I'm serious. I'm not being funny when I'm saying this. I'm giving suggestions for Shabbos to be Mayan in these two stories. One is the exact text when it says the fire came out and consumed them, and what exactly happened, and look up the different Mepharshim. And the other one is to go back to the end of Mishpatim and see this episode in which they go up the mountain and uh, they have an extraordinary experience, which is probably impossible to define unless you had it yourself, where they have Roa, Chose, and all the other sorts of things over there. And then the result is, what do you, what do you end up doing with it? But you get the impression a little bit there's something like the party story in the Gemara in which the four great rabbis went in for one of these uh, heavy-duty Kabbalah experiences and three didn't make it so well. Uh, to engage in this extreme speculation 
uh, although it certainly takes you past the superficial aspects of religion. And, uh, you know, it's not just God as you usually imagine it, which is some figure that you conjure up in your mind because you have to, but it isn't real. They got past that. But was did it have an effect on them? It seems that it did, and not a good effect. Uh, why does it say they were arrogant? You know, there's a famous minister that says they, that none of them ever said, when Moshe and Aaron die, we'll take over, we'll, we'll really run this show right. And, of course, they didn't know I remember this from long ago. The matter says they didn't know that there are many sheep that walk on their children, which means the shepherd decides to shech the one of the flock for for supper, and then he uh, say shechs them and puts them, you know, and they takes the skin or the for the wool, puts it on the ground. Next day, the flock walks over that until a parent walks over a child, in the sense that you know Moshe and Aaron ended up walking over their children. Aaron went and walking over his children. He outsurvived them, as you say, which is a tragedy. Uh, but that would seem like the Ish Zara was again an arrogance for it. Like we, they didn't ask any question about offering a fire; they just did it. And so the Moralach of Nirabo, and they thought they could do better. But then again, maybe they had some kind of vision of the way it's supposed to be, or they thought they did. See, there's your problem. There's your problem. The Pardis story also. Do you remember this? They said, "Watch where you go." This is when Rabbi Kiva and Benazim and Zoma and Acher. Watch where you go. You're going to see things that are misleading. It'll look like water in real. It's marble. So you'll be like one of these kids in school that runs straight across and then realize it's glass there and they, they, they hurt themselves by running right through glass. So in this case, you'll bang yourself against marble. Of course, it's a spiritual meaning. It's a metaphor. They're not running into water. They're not running into marble. They, they misperceive. The great problem with mystical experiences is do you understand what you're seeing and do you interpret it properly? It's very easy to misinterpret. And uh, it seems that Nodanavia were victims of this particular phenomenon. Uh, in a, uh, I'll just be rabbinic for a second. It's, this, uh, I find so very interesting, this phenomenon, that uh, they, their bodies were intact, but their soul was, was burnt. Uh, this is so much a modern jewelry. Uh, in America, today, for example, got millions of Jews, but it's a bummer. Gufen, kindness, muscleness, refus. They have no Yiddish cut whatsoever. They, they have no sensitivity or feelings about their Jewishness, no inquiries whatsoever. They walk around, they're Jewish, their goof is Kayim. Thank God they don't have that much anti Semitism over here, or who knows what's in the future. But then the Sham is burned. There's nothing to work with. And that's a very bad uh, state to be in. So, if I've confused you a little bit, on the story of Nanavir, that's my intention. Uh, it's a very sophisticated story to understand what does it mean, fire and the light and the uh, souls and uh, the, the sapphire brick and all the rest of it. But this will give you something good, hopefully, to work on on this Shabbos. Have a good Shabbos. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.